It's good to be with you this morning. Certainly grateful for your presence. Glad that you chose to be here, that you made it important to you to be here. Appreciate your contribution to the assembly this morning. Appreciate the, the prayers that have been offered and, uh, and the opportunity that I have to share with you from God's Word. It's certainly my hope uh, that as we have this time together that you'll be benefited uh, by that study, that you'll be able to take and, and gain from the things that I've gained in my study of God's Word. And I hope that as we uh, go through some of these scriptures this morning, uh, that you'll be able to find practical application of God's Word in your life and that you'll be built up in the faith uh, for our time together this morning. This morning I'd like to begin by uh, looking at some of the words of Jesus that we find in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. So if you want to grab a Bible and follow along or uh, turn along in the, the Scripture, I want us to start with a couple of questions and for each of us to uh, ask ourselves and, and kind of keep these things in mind as we go through the study this morning. The first, uh, first one being, uh, what's your definition of repentance? We're going to talk about repentance. Jesus made this statement, unless you repent. I want you to just think about if you had to give a, a definition of that word right now this morning, if you were to write that down on your notes or, or whatever you're, you're doing there in your, your seat this morning, how would you define that term? What does it mean? And so uh, with that in mind, um, the other question uh, that I want each of us to think about is, is there something that needs to change in your life? Or are there things that need to change in your life? And so those two things in mind, if you want to think about that, is there something that, that immediately comes to mind about changes that you might need to make uh, in your life or a particular change that you might need to make in your life? Are there several things that come to mind? Are there, do you have to, do you have to really stop and, and think about that? And do you, are you drawing a blank? Um, you think you're doing pretty good where you're at? What, what is the, what's the situation as you take a minute to examine your life this morning. I made the drive over from Bridgeport uh, in, in silence this morning. No, no radio. Lots of uh, different people that I drive around with, they ask me, do you ever listen to music? Do you ever and, I, and I do, but I, my, I, I usually answer that question with another question. Do you ever just stop to think? <laughs> Have a little quiet time. and Maybe I need more of that than other people, but um, to stop and to think about uh, where we're at, where we need to be, where we need to go. And that's the purpose of the study this morning, is for us to pause and to think about where we're at, where we need to be, where we need to go from here. In Luke chapter 13, beginning of verse number 1, the Bible says there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. As I was studying this passage, I, I tried to dig in a little bit on those instances that Jesus is referring to here to see if I could maybe flesh out the, the background and, and the events of, that he's referencing here. They were obviously well known in that day and age 
reference that he made that people would understand. Oh, well, I know what he's talking about there. We we can think about uh, we can think about towers falling, and we have a little bit different image, a different picture that comes to our mind, uh, perhaps depending on how old we are, but. Don't necessarily know what went on in these two events, but it illustrates an idea that's very common even today. And that's when bad things happen. A lot of times we have this mentality to attribute that to people's sinfulness. Well, they must have done something wrong. They must have angered the Lord in some way to, to suffer this terrible fate. And we inevitably, we, we'll see that uh, by even uh, Christianity and our, our society today, some terrible event will, will happen and, and some uh, religious leader of some group will come along and say, well, here's the judgment of God being poured out on these, these horrible sinners. And so how do we look at those things? I think the takeaway, the, the most important takeaway from that passage is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. What you need to think about is your life and your need for repentance. So you need to understand that if you don't repent, and he uses the word likewise, you will likewise perish. Both of those instances that we read about seem to be a terrible way to go. I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of good ways to go, but those certainly seem terrible enough. And his point is that in a similar fashion, ending in a terrible way, will be your fate if you don't repent. And it underscores the significance of this subject. It underscores the need for us to very well understand that. When I ask you about your definition of that, you know, you might have said, well, I'm not really sure. Well, it, it's definitely imperative that we understand what that means, with the emphasis and the, the importance that Jesus uh, placed on this passage. So let's think about that, and let's talk about that together this morning. I want to notice and begin by noticing in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. The Bible says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. One of the ideas that I hear fairly common, uh, maybe it's not quite as popular as it was in the... As, just the real recent past, but um, this concept of come as you are and the, the message of inviting people to church and they have this invitation that's, you know, uh, you just you come as you are. And uh, that message is the idea of we don't expect you to get all cleaned up and we don't expect you to get all dressed up and we don't, we're not asking you to conform to, to be like we are, we just want you to come just like you are. And it's a lot like, for, for me, growing up, it was Mr. Rogers. And, and a lot of you may, not, may or may not be familiar with Mr. Rogers. But Mr. Rogers came in, and he came in uh, with his little uh, sweater from outside. And he would come in, and he would change his outside sweater and put on his inside sweater. And he would take his outside shoes off and put on his inside shoes. And all of that was foreign to me. I didn't really understand why you'd go to all that trouble to swap one pair of shoes out for another. But Mr. Rogers had very good manners. I didn't have very good manners. <laughs> but Mr. Rogers was great, and everyone loved Mr. Rogers because he was sure to remind you every episode that he liked you just the way you are. And that's, that's what he would tell you. He was, he was glad to have you, and he liked you just the way that you are. And that's become a lot of times the invitation of uh, Christian organizations is, 
We like you just the way that you are. I want to notice that this call that we have, this call from the Scripture that, that God has called us to is a call out of darkness and into light. And so from the, from the very beginnings, from the call itself, it's a call to change. It's a call to transition. It's a call to something different than where we're at. And so, yes, I agree that, that we, we send the gospel call out to all men everywhere, that no matter what their, their current state. It's certainly the gospel call goes out to everyone in every place, to all men everywhere, and we, we support that and we get behind that and we want God's word to go to every, every corner of the world. But we have to understand that woven into that gospel call is a call to change. It's a call out of darkness and into light. And so, come as you are is fine. It's just not the idea of stay as you are. And a lot of times, I, I think that's, that's kind of uh, the practical application of the concept that's being taught many times. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, we have a list given to us in the Scripture. And in that list, the Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he goes through a rather extensive list and he makes this very clear statement. He says, those that practice these things, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. I might rephrase that and say, people that live that way and don't change will not go to heaven. That's the statement that's being made here in this passage. We have another list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10, through 10, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? We see that similar language, don't we? He's talking about people that will not go to heaven. He says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And one of the things I want to do, I just want to put these lists side by side because they're similar lists. Some of them contain elements that the other list doesn't contain. Uh, I highlighted the ones that are identical. But he gives these, these couple of lists. He uses the word uh, practice these things. People who live in these ways says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. We... Notice in this first list over here out of Galatians chapter 5 that this isn't intended to be an exhaustive list to cover every sort of, of every possibility of sinful lifestyle that's uh, prohibited by the God of heaven because he says, and the such like. So every possible sin is not listed in these passages. But he lays these passages out there and he says people that live this way that continue in these lifestyles, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, it's eye-opening. And it brings us 
to this important realization that change is required because the, the more of those type lists that we go through in the scripture, and there's more that we could turn to this morning, but for time's sake, we'll, we'll put those two up there and we'll immediately begin to see that we're in trouble. We have change that needs to be made. As Paul continues in Corinthians, if you notice the passage there, that's 1 Corinthians 6, 11. That passage right before was verses 9 through 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So he gives that list, and then we jump over to verse 11. So we're right there in the context of what he says. He makes this statement. He says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And so as he gives this list, and he says people that live this way won't go to heaven, they won't inherit the kingdom of God, he looks out to his audience and he says, some of you were those things. And some of those things were pretty terrible things. We, we put people in prison for some of those things that were on that list. Sometimes, or we used to, perhaps. But it points to a very simple truth, doesn't it? That not only can people change, people do change. And this uh, points to the, the hope of this message to me and the, the encouraging side of the message of repentance is that not only can people change, people do change. And the gospel changes people's lives. And the word of God transforms people's lives. And people that might have been wrapped up and, and engulfed and enslaved by terrible sinful activity can be free from that and they can be washed they can be justified they can be set apart for God's use and that's good news that's that's praiseworthy and that's something to be thankful for and that's something that's a message of hope for wherever an individual might be and so when we think about that concept of, of repentance and change let's begin by defining that term and think about what our definition of repentance is, our concept of repentance, if you will, and what's taught in God's Word about repentance. I had an individual come to me not long ago, and he's battling with a lot of things going on in his life, and he had been present at a, at, a, at a church service and was convicted by the Word of God, and upon that message from the Word of God and, and the invitation song, he... he responded to that invitation and he came forward and he asked for, for the prayers of the church for some of these battles that he was having in life. And we were studying after that and he was still struggling with a lot of things in life, a lot of challenges, a lot of bad habits and things like that. And he made the statement to me. He said, well, I repented. And, and he went on and finished the sentence. And I, I said, well, let's think about that for a minute. What, what does that mean? When you, when you say I repented, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I, I went before the church and I, I, I confessed my sins and I was sorry for those things. And I said, okay. Well, really, we see what that is, don't we? He, he, he gave the word, it's confession. He, he, made a, he, he had a realization for the need of change and he had guilt and he confessed fault. But is that repentance? Is that what repentance is? The definitions of the terms. <clears throat> Thayer defines the word repent to change one's mind, 
to change one's mind for better, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sin. Strong defines the same word as to think differently or afterwards, that is to reconsider, morally to feel compunction, repent. And so this idea of the word repent in its simplest form means to think differently, to change our mind, to change the way that we think about something. The word repentance is defined by Thayer as a change of mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed or something that he has done. Strong's the same word says uh, compunction by implication, reversal, repentance. And so per definition, repentance is to change the way that we think about something. And by implication, it's a reversal of action. So how does that apply to these actions, these lifestyles that we read about in those lists. Why do people live in those ways? Why do people live in sexual immorality? It's because of what they think. It's because of what they believe. They have chosen to believe that that is somehow better than what God offers. They have chosen to believe what the world tells them, that they can be free from these old-fashioned tradition, traditions and con constraints of certain uh, types of societies and, and different groups or, or whatever the case might be, and that they can be unshackled by those things and that they can just go on and, and have this freedom of choice and, and exercise their liberty and do these things and that that's somehow better than the morality that, that God teaches and what God teaches about those types of relationships. And so they will pursue those relationships. And inevitably, inevitably, excuse me, they will find, if they're honest, the truth about those things. And the scripture is quite clear, whoever commits sin is a servant to sin. It's not freedom. It's not liberty. It's not being unfettered by these old traditions and, and shackled by these old ideas and concepts. So when they begin to think differently about whatever activity they might be participating in, and that thought is something that is, instead of the misconception or the lie or whatever it was that they believed, but it's rather the truth, then they will change course. So they change the way that they think, and by implication, that's a reversal. So the concept was 180, this turnaround. And so that was a, a very a common way to describe repentance, of, of doing a 180, of turning. The scripture defines this term, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so here's the Bible definition of this concept. Don't be like the world. Don't be conformed to the world, the same as the world around you, but be transformed. How? By changing the way that you think, by renewing your mind, by replacing bad thought processes and patterns with good thought processes and patterns, by replacing lies with truth, or whatever the case might be, we change the way that we think about those activities and that causes us to change the way that we live. It causes a change in action, a transformation. 
In Romans chapter 8, in verse number 6, he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because a carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And so that's the transformation of thought that has to take place. The spiritual mindset, the truths that we find in God's Word, they're not naturally occurring in the human mind. They have to be placed there. They have to be taught. They have to be mixed with faith. They have to be believed. There has to be confidence and conviction in those things, that they're true, that they originated uh, from God, and that they're better than that carnal, fleshly way. And that's why he says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's the transformation that has to take place. Our thought processes have to go from natural or carnal to spiritual. Transformed. That, I, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't pretend to be. I don't pretend to know how to pronounce all of those words. But that word, that Greek word that's translated, transformed, it comes from the word that we get this idea of metamorphosis from. A, a change in form. You've got this caterpillar. If you're a gardener, you like to grow things, that's not a character that you want in your garden, is it? Because it's going to eat your plants up. It's going to destroy. It's going to devour. That's what caterpillars do. But if you're a gardener, on the flip side, you love to see the butterflies, right? They're pretty, and they don't hurt anything, and they're going around, and they're doing their pollination work, and they're helping you out get more flowers and, and grow your garden and all those things. And there's a transformation that took take place. And that's this idea of repentance. A transformation, a call out of darkness and into light, a complete change in everything that's, that's observable almost. Almost unrecognizable that we, to the point that, that we had to be taught at some point that that butterfly at one point was that, that gross-looking worm over there. If we hadn't observed that, we probably wouldn't make the connection. And that's repentance. It's a change. A noticeable, a visible change. Who is the message of repentance applicable to? And this is where we begin to broaden, I believe, our, our concept or our understanding of uh, the idea of repentance. A lot of people have uh, the idea that repentance is a message for those that are outside of Christ, those that haven't heard the gospel. And certainly, that is true. The message of repentance applies to those that are outside of Christ who haven't obeyed the gospel. In Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30, the Bible says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So one of the first things that we see is this is a universal uh, edict, a mandate that's gone out from God uh, that all are commanded to repent. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse number 9, the scripture says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but, or rather, that all should come to repentance. And so, again, back to the words that Jesus said Except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And those are the options that are presented here in 2 Peter. God's not desiring, it's not his desire that anyone should perish. And the only alternative is to come to repentance. And so that message 
needs to go out to those that are outside of Christ. It needs to go out to the lost. In Matthew 3, verse number 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His task, his job was to prepare the way for the Lord. And he did that with a message of repentance. He said, You need to change. You need to change the way that you think. You need to change the way that you act. Because the kingdom is at hand. Luke's account of the Great Commission. In Luke 24, verse number 46, he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so repentance was woven into this gospel call to go out and to preach the gospel, to preach salvation in Christ, repentance is a concept that, that has to be included in that. It's woven into that, and it's synonymous with whether we went and read the Great Commission out of Matthew's account or we read the Great Commission out of Mark's account. Whatever the case might be, it's synonymous. It might be stated in different ways, but that message of repentance is woven in there. But it doesn't end with those who are lost, those that, that haven't obeyed the gospel, those that are outside of Christ. In fact, we see the message or the concept of repentance taught to individuals who are already Christians, already children of God. In James chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. As a Christian, as a child of God, do you think about your need for repentance on a regular basis? Do you think about the need to lay apart filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, he says. Remember at the end of James chapter 1, he said, Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. As we go about as children of God in the world that we pick up things that we shouldn't pick up and that those things need to be put away, that that filthiness needs to be laid apart and Christians need to practice repentance. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And we see that same concept again that we saw in Romans chapter 12. Refresh the way that we think. Revise the way that we think that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so that message of repentance has application in the everyday life of Christians. And is that something that we put into practice regularly? Is that something that we uh, exercise ourselves to? We take it a step further and we see that the message of repentance has application to entire congregations. And sometimes we don't stop and, and pause and give thought to that truth. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. In Revelation 2 verse number 4 it says, Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee. This is the church that's at Ephesus. He says, Because thou hast left thy first love, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. The entire congregation here needed to make a change. And so they're called to make this change. And he says if you don't make this change I'm going to come and take your candlestick 
out of its place. One of my favorite preachers asked the question just a couple days ago, reminded me, made me think about this verse. What happened to that church that's at, that was at Ephesus? Where is it now? Is there a church there at Ephesus? Revelation 1, verse number 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So what does he mean when he says, I'll take your candlestick out of its place? Is there a church there anymore? I don't know of it. If there's not one there anymore, where did it go? They needed to make some changes that they didn't make. It is a safe assumption. It is an assumption. I'll grant you that. <laughs> but it's a fairly safe assumption because that was the evaluation that was from the Lord. If you don't repent, if you don't change, your candlestick's going to be removed out of its place. The church won't be there anymore. The church at Pergamos, Revelation 2, 14. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou them also uh, that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so this congregation we see evidently had a tolerance and allowance for these false teachings, these false doctrines. And they were called to renew, to revise, to change. To change the way that they think, to change the things that were being taught, and, and to make that change or else. The congregation at Thyatira, Revelation 2, verse number 20. He says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And evidently an allowance for immorality, and a tolerance of immorality and sexual immorality. And again, we see the call to repentance and consequence for failure to repent. The congregation at Laodicea in Revelation 3, verse number 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And we might go through those, those messages to those churches and we might read those passages and those calls to repentance and we might think about that as as something harsh. Someone say, well man, that preacher was really, he was really negative. And he's talking about all that stuff this morning. But as this, these calls to repentance are summarized, they're summarized with this statement. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. This call to repentance is a loving call from our Father in Heaven. It's from a Father that loves us that wants what's best for us, that doesn't want us to get hurt, that, that desires everyone to be saved. And that's what these calls to repentance come from. They come from our loving Father in heaven. When? When is a message of repentance applicable? 
Well, we go back to Acts chapter 17, verse number 30, excuse me. It says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And the message of repentance has application right now. And that will be true every day that you think about the concept of repentance. The application time is right now. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse number 2, he said, For, I, for he saith, I have heard thee, and the time accepted, and the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so when we recognize the need to change the way that we think about things, when we recognize the need to change the way that we're acting, to change the way that we're living, the time is now. The time is right now. Several times I've opened God's word with individuals. And we've talked specifically about activities that they were engaged in and ways that they were living, things that were on those lists that we've already read. And the question, well, what do you think about those things? And the response, time after time, well, I guess we have a lot to think about or something to that effect. I guess we've got a lot to think about. What is there to think about? Do you believe in God? Do you believe the Bible is His Word? And He's given us that Word and He clearly shows us changes that need to be made and we say, I guess we've got a lot to think about. We say, well, nobody's perfect. And we push aside and we brush aside the, the message and the need and the call of repentance. The necessity of change. James 4 verse number 14, he says, For whereas you know not what shall come on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Anything that's spiritual in nature, any of these concepts, any of these teachings that we have in God's Word, they inherently carry with them a great sense of urgency. I had this talk with my children because I say, you need to clean your room up. And my, I've already heard my wife say it. That's probably why I'm saying it, because I, I don't necessarily have enough concern to go by and say, yeah, that's kind of a pigsty. And it, it, their, their rooms are all off kind of on one, one side of the house, and so it doesn't affect me a whole bunch. And so my tendency is to not be over there just a great deal. But I hear my wife tell them that their room needs to be clean, and so I go and look, and I go, oh, yeah, their rooms need to be clean. But then they're going about and they're doing their things and they say, okay, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I go and I talk to them. I say, it's important that you understand when I say your room to be needs to be clean that now is implied. And that we, we have that talk because I, I, I feel like I failed in my communication because I'm trying to be patient and I'm trying to be a loving father and I'm trying to be godly and all those things. And then I get impatient and I get upset because... I said it, and I heard my wife say it, and now I've said it, and it's still not done, and these trivial tasks are going on, and so I have that talk with them. I mean now when I say things. If I don't actually say now, just assume that I mean now. We should assume that God means now. When we see the need for change, assume He spoke from heaven and said, Now. Because he has. We read it out of Acts chapter 17. Now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And there's a sense of urgency that comes along with this concept, with this message of repentance. We ask the question, why? 
Why is the message of repentance necessary? Why is it needful? Why do we spend so much time talking about it? Acts chapter 17, we're going back to verse number 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at. God is underlined there. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And we underline the word command because he didn't suggest it. Sometimes I do make suggestions to my children. And I, I try to let them learn some things on their own. And I give them a little bit of liberty. And we have great liberty in Christ. And our Heavenly Father gives us a great deal of liberty. But in this area, He didn't make a suggestion and say, try it out, see what you think. If you like your way better, great, just, just do whatever you want. He commanded repentance. All men everywhere to repent. Because He's appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised Him from the dead. And again, we underscore that concept of urgency. There's a judgment day coming. Jesus said, if you don't repent, you will perish in a similar fashion. You will have a terrible fate if you don't repent. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse number 7, he says, To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And I want you to think about that passage this morning and ask yourself if that comforts you. If that thought comforts you. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that passage is written to comfort Christians. Do you realize that? He says, you who are troubled, rest with us. So these early Christians, they, were, they had it hard from the world around them. We start thinking we have it hard from the world around us, right? Because we're starting to see more and more persecution, aren't we? We're, we're, we start to see a lot more anti-Christian ideas, and it's not maybe as cool to follow Jesus as it used to be. They had it hard. They suffered a lot of persecution. And this passage was written to them to comfort them. He said, Jesus is going to come. And He's going to punish those that don't know God, those that don't obey the gospel. And so that passage was written to give comfort. But if you don't know God and you haven't obeyed the gospel, there's no comfort for you in that passage. And so there's a need for repentance. There's a need for you to change your mind about what you think is important in this life. There's a need for you to change your mind about how much time you think you have. There's a need for you to make changes. There's a need to repent. And it's an urgent need. How? How do I practice repentance? And this for the Christian, for the one who's already a child of God, this is where the rubber meets the road uh, of the study. This is where we really begin to dig in and evaluate ourselves and say, am I practicing biblical repentance on a regular basis or have I invented my own concept of repentance and that's what I'm practicing on a regular basis? Perhaps I have the wrong understanding of repentance and I viewed it as something that, was, that I checked off the list back before I obeyed the gospel and therefore I haven't been practicing uh, biblical repentance. 
In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, he says, Now I rejoice that, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For a godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what behemoth desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And so he goes through a list of items here. And Lord willing, that will be our study of the afternoon as we start examine our lives and, and we ask ourselves the question, am I practicing biblical repentance? I believe in that passage he gave evidences of uh, biblical repentance where we can examine our lives and, and see if that's what's going on in our lives or if something else is going on. And so I invite you uh, to, to join us for that study this afternoon as we continue along this concept of repentance. But I ask you a couple of questions this morning. I ask you what your definition of repentance was. As we've looked into God's Word this morning, as your definition, does it line up with God's? It needs to. So if there's changes that need to be made in your definition, it's time to repent. It's time to change the way that you think about repentance and, and line your definition of repentance up with the Lord's. The second thing that I asked this morning was, is there something that needs to change in your life? And that's the, the question that only you know the answer to. God knows the answer to it. And sometimes we deceive ourselves. The scripture talks about that. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the prophet said, The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And he goes on in the very next verse to say, The Lord knows it. He, he tests the heart. So he knows what's in our heart. Sometimes we even deceive ourselves. But if you recognize there's a need to change, please understand what we've talked about this morning, the sense of urgency that goes with that. Assume when you read those words out of God's book that he said now behind every one of them because he does. It's important. It's urgent. And so this morning, if there's a need for change in your life, begin now. Take the appropriate action now. Don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't push it down the road. Don't invent your own concept or your own definition of repentance. Use the Lord's concept. Use the Lord's definition and take the steps that you need to take to be where you need to be in your relationship with the Lord. You can only have a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ. If you've not obeyed the gospel of Christ, you need to change the way that you're thinking. You need to accept the truth, the words of Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. If you haven't put on Christ in baptism, we would encourage you to make that decision. If you've done that and there needs to be change, we would encourage you to take whatever steps that you need to take to start down that road of change and transformation. And if we can be of service to you in any way, please let that be known by having a seat on one of these front pews while together we stand and sing.